Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're reading Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy, and we're continuing on with chapter four, which is about control structures and method dispatch. Today, we're going to look at how Ruby implements for loops internally, the send instruction, which we've heard is very important, calling normal Ruby methods, and also calling built-in Ruby methods. So again, a lot, but I'm um, looking forward to it. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. How did you find this week's reading? I liked it. I liked this week's reading. I was a little bit nervous because usually when we decide how much to read, you end up reading it before me and then you kind of let me know what page numbers to read. But this time I actually did the reading first. So I had to kind of figure out how much was too much. Was there a lot of information? Was it you know enough for an episode? And what I found really interesting about this week's reading is it wasn't a really, really deep dive into something complex. It felt like a lot of little stories, a lot of little, mm-hmm. you know, explorations, little mini, mini dives. So uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I feel like I got a lot out of this reading. What about you? Yes, I really enjoyed it as well. There was a bit that I just needed to get into my head um, because I was having a bit of confusion. And the thing that I needed to keep telling myself was when you read Ruby in the book, when Pat says Ruby, he means this language which is built up of C code and Ruby code. I needed to make that distinction because in my head, he'd be talking about Ruby and I just think of the language Ruby. And so some of the stuff didn't make sense. Mm. Once I got it in my head that when you see Ruby with a capital R in this book, it's C code and Ruby code, then I was able to get all of it a bit better. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I feel like that's been a struggle for me just in general, kind of figuring out when we say Ruby, what are we talking about? Are we talking about my Ruby, the the core Ruby? Like what 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 is the Ruby of this? So yeah, I think that's really helpful. Cool. So shall we start with experiment 4.1? Yeah, let's do it. So experiment 4-1 is called testing how Ruby implements for loops internally. And so here we start with some pretty basic code that says for i in 0 dot dot 5 puts i end. And Pat says that he knows that when we have that for loop that it really works like an each method. So it goes parentheses 0 dot dot 5 close parentheses dot each do i puts i end. And Pat says that what he didn't think was happening was that Ruby was actually implementing for loops using each internally, which basically means that there is no actual for loop control structure, which I thought was very interesting because I always thought that, and I assume this is also why Pat was surprised, I always thought that the for loop was the the real, the more, what's the word I'm trying to use? The, the more, Low level? Uh, yes, thank you. That's exactly what it, It's funny because in my head I thought like the level that's underneath the high, thank you. Um, <laughs> Yes, the lower level version of doing each. Like I thought each was a sophisticated high level thing. So yeah, that was also surprising to me. Yes, because when you look at other languages like Go or Java or whatever, they have four loops. And so I thought the syntactical Mm -hmm. sugar was the each thing that Ruby gave you that was, you know, nicer to use. So I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, because something that's normally syntactical sugar is the thing that you use more often, but you don't really see for loops in Ruby. Right, exactly. You never see for, like, I remember learning about for loops because Ruby was my first programming language. Um... And we learn for loops for the simple fact that like for loops are a thing in programming that you should generally know exists, but it wasn't, you know, really actively used in any code base that I, I remember working on or, or seeing. So yeah, that was exactly my assumption too. 
So in order to prove how this works in listing 4-3 and also listing 4.4, we actually look at the implementation of the for loop and get to see how it displays um, or what the YARV instructions actually look like. And so what's interesting here is when we see the YARV instruction, we can see on line 4 that it's really calling the each method. And the YARV instructions are really long and there's lots of stuff going on. But the thing that Pat really wants us to pay attention to is the fact that even when we're calling the for loop, we see that internally it's really calling each. So now we're going to talk about method lookup and method dispatch. And so when we're trying to think about how YARV knows which method to call, which is what the send method does, um, he shows us a high-level process in figure 4.10, but he says that although it looks very simple, the algorithm to find and call the target method is actually very complex. So if we look at figure 4.10, uh, we've got four rectangular boxes all flowing down into one another. So at the top, we have YARV calls send. And then we go down to method lookup. And this is searching for the right method to call. And then we go to method dispatch, which is actually calling the method and then YARV executes the target method. So this whole thing about method dispatch, this is where YARV prepares the arguments to the method. We push a new control frame stack onto YARV's internal stack. Uh, YARV has this thing called internal registers and these uh, start changing in order to execute the method. And so we're going to, this is a complex process, and we're going to dive into this more now. Um, and although method lookup's been mentioned, uh, Pat says that we're going to go back to that in chapter six once we've learned about um, how Ruby implements objects, classes, and modules. At this point, I was starting to see more of like, oh, all the little bits and pieces are coming together. And it's, mm -hmm. it was reminding me almost like a course where he's like, okay, so this makes sense to talk about now. And this makes sense to talk about later. But it was done in a way that actually it wasn't um, frustrating because it, it made sense to me. I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. You, you gave us just enough to, to know the flow. And now we're going to dive into method dispatch. And so we have 11 types of Ruby methods. And this is like the first part in the reading where I started to, you know, I had to tell myself Ruby equals C plus Ruby because I was very confused, mm -hmm, like 11 mm -hmm. types of Ruby methods. What does this mean? Okay, so what happens is in the method dispatch process, Ruby is going to characterize each type of method in our code um, that it's trying to call. And there are 11 different versions. And so we've got figure 411, where what happens is it says, so YARV calls send. And then the next thing that happens is like, it's almost like there's a case statement which switches on method type. And there are the 11 different types. And we're going to dive a bit deeper into what each of those are. So most methods are referred to as ISEC, which is I-S-E-Q. And that stands for instruction sequence methods. Um, and these are all the methods um, that we write with our Ruby code in our program. So this is methods that we write in Ruby in our like text editors. Those are instruction sequence methods. So that's one of the 11 types, but there are 10 other types. So what are those? So if we go to page 94, um, we have a quick description of each of the methods. So I'm just going to run through them very quickly. So we have ISEC, which I've mentioned. And so that's a normal method that we write using Ruby code, most common type, and it stands for instruction sequence. Then we've got CFUNC. That's something we've seen before. So this is C code that's directly inside the Ruby executable. So this is Ruby as a program itself. And this is methods that Ruby implements rather than we do. So we don't write these methods. They, they come built into Ruby. 
We've got method ATTRASET, so that's A-T-T-R-S-E-T. And this is a method that's been created when we call the attribute writer method in our programs. Um, and ATTRASET stands for attribute set. There's IVAR, so capital I-V-A-R. And this is when we call the attribute reader method in our programs. We've got B method, so B-M-E-T-H-O-D. And this is what happens when you call define method and pass in a proc. Then we've got Z super, or Saron might have said Z super, <laughs> if she had been reading this. <laughs> and that's when you set a method to be public or private in a particular class or module when it was actually defined in some super class. And I was a bit like, huh? And then I read that, that it's not commonly used. So I was like, yes, okay. exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I did. I read that and I just thought, I'm just going to ignore this for now. Yeah, so let's forget about it. Then we have undef. And Ruby uses this method type internally when it needs to remove a method from a class. Um, or if we call undef method in our programs. And so, again, I was a bit like, huh, Ruby creates a new method when we remove a method. Okay, I was a bit confused by this, but I wasn't, yeah. wasn't going to dwell on it. Then there's a not implemented. And so this is when you want to mark certain methods as not being implemented. So one example that Pat gives is if you're running Ruby on a platform that doesn't support a particular system call, then it would mark those ones as not implemented. We have optimized. And this is where Ruby speeds up some important methods using the optimized method type. Mm -hmm. And an example of this is kernel.send. We have missing um, as a type, which we, we are all familiar with when we get our method missing mm -hmm. uh, errors. And so this is, yep, when you ask for a method object from a module or class and uh, Ruby can't find it. And then there's also refined. And this is when Ruby uses uh, Ruby uses this for its implementation of refinements. And so at this point, I have a mini, mini sidebar because I was like, huh, refinements, heard of this before. Why is it jogging uh, my memory? That's because... I remember when I was on the Ruby comp committee a couple of years ago. Actually, it was the committee where we we met properly and oh, came cool. up with the idea for this. Mm -hmm. One of the talk, there were a few talks around refinements. Um, and I remember Googling then what it was, but I couldn't remember. So I Googled again. And what it is, is so um, they're essentially a way to monkey patch locally. So normally when we redefine or add um, functionality to a class, this is applied throughout the whole program and that can cause things to break. Um, and so with refinements, the changes you make are only local to the particular file, or I think you can change the scope, but it's essentially a much more refined scope. And I was looking through the Ruby docs and I ended up on the Ruby 2.0 docs, which was when it was announced. Um, mm. And it said there that, ooh, this is experimental, so we don't know if this is going to survive. And then I checked the Ruby 2.4 docs, which is the, the latest uh, stable version of Ruby, and it's they're still there, so oh, they survived. Mm -hmm. um, what was funny, though, is that when I did the initial Google for uh, refinements, the the first few um, things were like blog posts and Stack Overflow posts with titles like, what's the point of refinements? Like, are they useful at all? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Well, it must be some type of useful because they're still here. Indeed. Um, so do you want to talk about calling normal Ruby methods? Yep. 
So next, we're going to talk about calling normal Ruby methods. So here, we talk about how most of the methods in your Ruby code are identified by the constant vm method type iseq. And we talked about how iseq, as Nadia explained, is the most common method type, and it stands for instruction sequence. And that iSequence, the instruction sequence, I remember when I looked at that, I thought, okay, I guess instruction is like just general code, like it just stands for it includes a sequence full of code, um, but it's actually referring to YARV instructions specifically. So it's a sequence of YARV instructions. So if we look at an example of that, we have 4-12. And here we have a method that we are creating called display message. So we have def display underscore message, and then we have puts, and then the string, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, end, and then we actually call display message. So we want to see what is happening and what that actually looks like. So here, display message is a standard message that we're using that we are uh, that's been created using that def keyword. And so if we look at the YARV instructions for that in figure uh, 412, we see I'm kind of like figuring out where's the right place to start for this. Mm. So if we look at 412, there's a couple boxes. On the left, we have two sets of YARV instructions. On the right, we have two control frames. And we have a pointer, which is the current frame pointer. So we're going to start on the right. So we have on the bottom right. So we start with the control RB control frame T. And that consists of YARV instructions that is... I guess referred to as the calling code. So the YARV instructions correlating to that control frame reads op send simple, and then we have that call info bang mid colon display message arg c f call v call arg skip blah, blah blah. So here the key thing to really take away is the fact that in that YARV instruction we're really dealing with the display message method. And then right above that control frame we have rb control frame t, and then here we have type method. And this corresponds to its own YARV instructions that reads put self, put string, the quick brown fox jumps. And then we have opt send simple. And then we have our famous call info bang mid colon, this time puts, comma arg c1, f call arg skip, blah, blah, blah. And here. I was going to say here we're actually seeing all of the call info mid stuff. It's actually uh, in, that's true. In, it's yeah, the yeah. end of it, yeah. And so here, the important thing to note in that opt send simple is that we're calling puts. So puts is the, the method that we're really focusing on. And so what is key to take away here is we start with the calling code, which is that outer method, that display message at the bottom. And then we go to the target method, which is what's inside the method we created, which is all of the, um, which is that put statement. And here we have the current frame pointer being pointed at that uh, control frame of type method. You know, as you sort of said, it's hard. it was hard to work out where to start in this diagram because all the different arrows. But I highlighted the bit where Pat said the key idea because I thought, okay, that's helpful at least. It's trying to say, you might be looking at this wondering where you should focus, but let me just tell you the key takeaway that I want you to get from this diagram which I thought was helpful. But one thing I was wondering about that key takeaway is the key takeaway basically says that both the calling code and the target method are comprised of YARV instructions. And I think what this made me wonder is, I thought in general, the default was that the um, was that it would have YARV instructions. So I, I guess, were we supposed to expect that it wouldn't have YARV instructions? Or what what is the expectation that would make this, you know, maybe surprising? I think I see what you're saying um, because what we've learned is that you get a new control frame stack for each level. Right. 
I wonder if this is the first time, though, that we've seen YAV instructions for a method that we've written. Mm. And I think that's the distinction he wants us to draw, which is that within our own method, you get a set of YAV instructions, but then the target method inside gets a separate uh, stack. And I think it's just making that distinction between something we've written mm-hmm. as opposed to when we've looked at YAV methods with um although now i think about it when we've had different levels of scope maybe they've been with blocks and things actually so far that's what i was thinking and, and yeah so this is the first time where i think yeah that's right that's what the distinction is here and that's okay. why i took away like oh yes of course you're you write a method but it has its own set of yarv instructions itself yeah yeah that's really helpful yeah because i think in the past most of the examples that we've done are like 10 dot times and you know like blocks yes, and methods that already do. exist so you're right i think this is um This is one of the first times we've really talked about a method we created. So, of course, with methods comes arguments. And so um, there's now a section called preparing arguments for normal Ruby methods. And I I really like this section. I thought it was very useful. And I like the the way that Pat set up the example. So he he reminds us of this idea of a local, uh, local table, which has the variables and arguments for each method when Ruby compiles our code. And that each argument in the local table has um, this standard arg label. So it's the word arg in the triangular brackets. What happens is that Ruby records each, uh, records the type of each um, of the method's arguments so that it will know, like, do I have any additional work to do given the type of uh, argument that I have? And so now we go to example 4.5. And I was very happy when I was like, oh, good, you're showing us all these different things mm, that we may yeah. think about. Because sometimes in an example, if you just shown us like, you know, standard arguments, I might be wondering, what about if it's a block? And what about if yeah. it's a... <laughs> so we didn't leave we much everything. room for me to ask these further questions. So yeah. it was great. So in example 4.5, Ruby's argument types uh, we have some code so we've got def five argument types and then the arguments are a so just standard argument a second one is b equals one third one is a splat args fourth one is c and the fifth one is ampersand d so a block and inside the method we have puts standard argument and then you interpolate in a dot inspect then puts optional argument, and we interpolate in b.inspect. Then we have puts splat argument array, and then we uh, interpolate args.inspect. Puts post argument, and then we interpolate c.inspect, and puts block argument, and then we interpolate d.inspect. And again, I appreciated that, although it was pretty obvious, just laying out the labels of what we call each of those arguments was cool as well. So it's like documentation within the example. Um, and then at the bottom of this this file that we're looking at, so example 4.5 is essentially a Ruby file called argument types.rb. We call the method we've just defined um, five argument types and we pass in one, two, three, four, five, six, do. So we're also passing it a block mm-hmm. and that block says puts block. So then we have example 4.6, which shows the output that's generated. So uh, example 4.6 on the command line, we run Ruby and then the argument argument types to RB. And we see standard argument one, optional argument two, splat argument array three, four, five. So Ruby's grouped up those those three. And then post argument six, and then the block argument, which it comes out as a, as a proc. And so how did... Ruby work out how to handle each of those arguments, particularly with the splat operator and the block. 
And so uh, Pat now explains what is the additional processing that happens on each type of argument. So when we have a block, when so when we see the when Ruby sees the ampersand operator, um, Ruby converts that block into a proc object. So then I guess that gives it access to all the proc methods. Um, when you uh, have optional arguments, Ruby adds additional code that uh, to the target method. And what this code does is it sets the default value into the argument. So I didn't really probably understand the wording of this, but I think I got what it was saying. And then uh, Pat says, when we then call that method with an optional argument, Yav resets the program counter and it skips this added code when a value is provided. So my own summary of that is you have a, a method and inside it says B equals three. So there's some extra code that is like added behind the scenes to this method mm -hmm. where you set B is equal to three. But let's assume you 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 passed in B, then it then what it does, Yav goes, oh, it's past it. So let me skip that bit of the code where I set B to three. I assume that's what it's saying. It just sounded a bit more complicated mm -hmm. than yeah. that when we have a splat argument array yav creates a new yav, um, array object and collects these um collects the provided argument values um at this point i thought yeah i i can tell that's being done but i guess what would have been interesting is how does it work out you know because when you've got arguments post a splat operator you know yav or ruby does some clever stuff to work out how many things it keeps into arcs i guess that would have been interesting to discuss mm, mm -hmm. and then standard and post arguments it says uh these are simple values yav has no additional work to do but i guess with the post arguments bit it would have been well yav has to do a bit of processing to work out if i've got two post arguments but you've given me like four things then i know that like two of them are going to be in the splat thing um the splat argument and the other ones are going to be post so that that bit we still haven't um delved del delved into yet but yeah, that's how we prepare arguments for our uh, normal methods. That wasn't too bad. No, it wasn't. I think that was one of the pieces of uh, this week's reading where I, I kept waiting for it to get more complicated. Like even when I was looking at mm. uh, listing four six, the output generated, I kept thinking, where's where's the the inspect results? Like I kept I kept waiting for it to be some like really complex thing where I would only understand you know one line here or there, and I was like, I understand this. This doesn't make sense. Um, but yeah, this was a lot more straightforward than I I thought it was going to be. So I was really relieved about that. Cool. So the next piece and the final piece for this week is calling built-in Ruby methods. So here, I was really excited about this because this is one of the things that we saw earlier. And I think we were trying to figure out, like, what is this C-Funk thing and where is it coming mm -hmm. from and all that? So it was really nice to to have it come up again and to get into it a little bit more. I was happy and I was I was thinking of you a lot when I was reading this section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So here we're talking about how many of the methods that are built into the Ruby language are C-Funk methods. And this has come up quite a number of times. We've seen it a lot in past um, chapters and past readings. And so here it basically says that Ruby implements these using C code rather than Ruby code. And I remember there was one episode where we were trying to figure out, is like, is it C code? Is it Ruby code? Now we know explicitly, definitively, it is C code. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple uh, really short examples of this. So, for example, the times method is implemented by the C code in the file numeric.c. And same thing for the string uh, upcase method, which is, which is implemented by C code in string.c. And then we have the struct each method, which is implemented by C code in struct.c. So I really like the predictability of that and how that so mm -hmm. far makes a lot of sense. 
So now we're going to look at uh, what this actually looks like in terms of the control frame structures and the YARV instructions that we like to dig into. So now we're going to look at figure 4-13 and we're going to look at what the times method looks like in terms of control frame structures and YARV instructions and all that good stuff. So here we have on the right two control frame structures and on the left we have their corresponding YARV instructions. So on the bottom right, we have our first control frame structure, which is empty, doesn't have anything in it, but it corresponds to a set of YARV instructions that reads opt, send, simple, call, info, bang, mid, times, comma, arg, c, zero, comma, block, block, in, compiled. And here, the main thing we're going to focus on is that method times. And so as we talked about in figure 4-12, that bottom, that first control frame structure is the calling method. And then right above that, we have another control frame structure with method type cfunc, which we've seen a few times before. And usually if this was a method that we created, it would have corresponding YARV instructions, which would be our target method. But this time it doesn't have YARV instructions, but we do have a diagram that shows us what happens next or you know what that control frame structure does. And what it does is it goes into our C code and implements the dot times method in that numeric dot C file we mentioned earlier. So visually, if we compare figure 4-13 to 4-12, it looks the same. It's kind of the same flow. We have the calling method and then we have the target method. But the big difference here is that that target method doesn't have URF instructions. Yes. So now we look at a section on calling attribute reader and attribute writer methods. And I, at, when I first read this, I found this section a, a bit strange because I felt like it was just explaining to me how the attribute reader and attribute writer methods worked. And I could have told you that before reading me this Me too. Book. I was very confused you know about I mean? it. Okay, I, good. It made me think like what, you know, because this book was written you know, a few years ago. And so it made me think maybe these were new things at the time that most people weren't familiar with. But yeah, I was I was very I was confused that we were explaining why or what those methods did. OK, but just for anyone who doesn't know, let's just go through it quickly. So um, so so basically the point of attribute reader and attribute writer is that we can more quickly um, access and set instance variables in our code. And these relate to the Ivar and Atraset uh, Ruby methods that we mentioned mentioned earlier when we went through the 11 different types. And so um, we're just going to look at example 4.7, where uh, Pats has a class called instance variable test. And he's got two methods in it. One says def var, and then the body of that method says at var end. And then the second method says def var equals, and then it's got an argument called val. And then the body of the method reads at var equals val. And so obviously the first method is getting the instance variable var, and the second one is setting it. And, uh, you know, Pat reminds us that because he wrote these methods, it's Ruby code written in a Ruby program that a developer would write. These would have the typeset of VM method type ISEQ or ISEC. Um, and so there's a shortcut. And, and, then, and then what uh, Pat says is that those methods that I read out, you could shorten that by in your instance variable test class, instead of writing out those methods, you could instead write attribute reader uh, symbol var, so attr underscore reader, and then attribute writer var. And then you can shorten that even further with the attribute accessor method uh, with var. And so, yeah, so that's just how the attribute accessor, um, attribute reader and writer methods work. 
And so then he goes into how um, we have method dispatch, which optimizes those things. So um, because Ruby developers use them very often, and, and this is why I knew how these worked, right? Because this is something you learn very early on when you're learning uh, Ruby de development. What is attribute reader and writer? Yav has two special methods to optimize the calling of them. So that's Ivar and uh, Atraset. And so first we're gonna look at the Atraset and how that speeds up the method dispatch. So when we uh, use uh, Atra writer or Atra accessor, that's when we get uh, Ruby marks the generated method with VM method type Atraset internally. And so what that means is that when Ruby executes the code and calls that method, there's a C function called VM underscore set Ivar, which sets the instance variable in a fast optimized manner. And in figure 4.14, um, what we see is we see a diagram. So we've got two rectangular boxes um, and going from left to right, we have uh, the YAV instructions, which say opt send simple um, call info mid, and then it's var equals because we're calling um, attribute writer and then arg c1 and then arg skip. And then we've got an arrow going to the right into a second box, which shows just how we had before with type c func. We're calling the c function vm set ivar. And um, as uh, Pat says, you know, this is very similar to figure 4.13 where we're calling an internal C function. Um, but with figure 4.14, we, we're meant to take note of the fact that there's not a new stack frame. And the reason is because the method is so short and simple. And, and this is one of those things where I understand what, um, I understand what Pat is saying, but it's still like, oh, um, what makes the method so short and simple? Because like, where is the line drawn? Does that make sense? Because then we've had other cases before where, oh, this is a simple method. So Ruby has an optimization for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering yeah. where that simplicity is drawn, but I'm not gonna worry about that too much. Um, and then the other interesting thing was that Pat said that because var equals will never raise an exception because we're just setting a variable, that's another reason why Ruby doesn't need a stack frame because stack frames are also, also useful for displaying error messages. Um, and I thought that was very helpful starting to learn more and more about why these stack frames are useful and why we need them. And so, yep, VM set Ivar is just a C function that quickly sets uh, the value and returns from the function. And then we have the Ivar method type, which works in a very similar way. And this is when you define um, a method using Atra reader or Atra accessor. Um, Ruby marks the, the generated method with VM method type Ivar. And then we have another internal C function, and this one is called VM get Ivar. And we've got figure 4.15, which is pretty much very, very similar to figure 4.13. This time the opt-send simple is calling um, the method var. And we see a box on the right where we call the C function vm get ivar. And so, yeah, this is how Ruby handles attribute accessors, readers, and writers behind the scenes. Cool. So for me this week, I am going to give the reading an eight. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, initially I was struggling, but then once I got it in my head, what was going on, we've got Ruby, which consists of C code and Ruby code that we write and all that stuff. Um, I really loved the high level overview 
Um, it's really cool to start learning about methods that we're writing and how that links into the C code. And because we're revisiting concepts that we've already looked at before as well, um, it's all starting to cement together. And I, I thought that Pat did a great job with the, the the mix of diagrams and explanations and also with the accompanying text too. Mm-hmm. So eight. What about you? I'm tempted to give it a nine, but I kind of want to like hold on to that number. So Ooh. I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it an eight. I'm gonna give it an eight as well. Ooh, um, nine. <laughs> but you know how we talked about how uh, you know a big part of getting the most out of really any book is figuring out how to read it. I think a major reason why I enjoyed this reading is also because by this point I'm a lot more comfortable with this world. Right at the very beginning. I felt I I didn't know what mattered, what was important. And so everything was new and foreign and kind of weird. And so I wanted to understand everything because I was so uncomfortable with the with the landscape, you know, with the context. But now that Mm -hmm. I'm like I'm used to looking yard instructions that I don't really understand and kind of focusing in on just a couple (laughs) lines, you know, like I'm used to, um, you know, this this the vague concept of control structures and so um, or control frame structures. And so I feel like just you know the fact that we kept going with this book and the fact that we kept seeing a lot of the same types of things and you know types of code i think for me it really helped me be just more comfortable in this world so that when pat says ignore this part don't worry about it we're going to focus on that i i like trust him more if that makes sense like i i'm like okay i'm fine like i i believe you yeah i'm not gonna freak out about the fact that i understand this so i feel like just that level of comfort was really really helpful and in this specific reading the fact that we touched on a lot of those holes in the past was super super helpful and the fact that it was it felt like a, a lot of little concise points with really high value you know there was there's like a, a great um, takeaway to content ratio, if that makes sense. You know, it felt like every every couple paragraphs, there was like a key idea that was really valuable. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this reading. This was probably my favorite so far. Amazing. You enjoyed it more than when we first started. Definitely. Yeah. But that's because you're yeah. probably getting more out of it than just the initial excitement. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!